Inconvenient. Adjective. Causing trouble, difficulties, or discomfort. Truth. Noun. The quality or state of being true. When something causes us trouble, gives us difficulty, or produces discomfort, we avoid it. But what happens when we can't? What happens when those things come from our relationship with God? What happens when those things that are so inconvenient are also unavoidably true? This summer, we take a look at truths that we'd rather avoid. Truths about human dignity, sexuality, relationships, our work, and our money. This summer, we explore inconvenient truths. Kids ages 3 to kindergarten can head down the stairs to Holy Cross Kids Rescue. If you turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis, right in the beginning of your Bibles, we're in verses 26 and 27 this morning. Um, if, you're, if you're new to Holy Cross during the summers, we, we generally don't go through a, a book of the Bible. That's something we do throughout uh, the rest of the year. But in the summer, because of travel, people are in and out, things are, are a little more uh, uh, disjointed, uh, we, we try and tackle something more topically. And so it seems better to have, or more helpful at least, to have a, a series in which, you know, the messages link together. We're, we're following a theme, but at the same time, you don't need a ton of context from previous weeks to understand what's going on, right? So this summer we're doing something called Inconvenient Truths. And we're calling it that because that's what truth is. Not, not all truth, of course, but many Holy Cross is a church that is upfront about the fact that we understand that the Bible is authoritative for our lives. Not just in parts, but rightly understood the whole. And what's more, because we believe it's the Word of God, we know that it will challenge us in ways we don't like. That's the way relationships work, right? Relationships challenge us. They, They tend to push us. Other people tend to push us by showing us blind spots and things like that. And it's even worse when we're dealing with relationship with those who are in authority over us. So how much more when that person we're in, a, we're in relationship with is the chief authority, the God who created all things. So this series is about some of those ways in which we're challenged. We're going to be talking about things this summer that many of us, not least the one who is speaking, would rather not because they're touchy, because they're uncomfortable. They're things like uh, human dignity, the value of life, gender, sexuality, marriage, singleness. What to do with our work. What God calls us to do with our money. We believe God's word speaks to all these things and so we need to listen. This week we begin by looking at how how it is that God created us. So if you have your place in Genesis 1, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I said we'll just be reading two verses, verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1. This is God's very word. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Friends, this is God's word for our flourishing. Would you pray with me? Father, into this time we ask your presence. We pray, O Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive you, our eyes to see you, our ears to hear from you. If you do not speak, we are lost. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be moving even now by your Spirit. 
Help us receive your gospel. Jesus, let what you have done, who you are and your work come to the fore and the one who speaks fall to the wayside because you alone hold the words of eternal life. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. In my high school biology class, I remember an exercise in which we were given a scenario. Here it is. Ready? You're on a ship, and that ship sinks. Now, you make it to the lifeboat. That lifeboat has nine other people on it, so that's ten people total, right? Uh, The problem is that there's only provision for five. There's ten people on the lifeboat, but there's only provision for five. And the point of the exercise is then you decide who it is who lives and who dies. And you decide that based on information such as their age, whether they have disabilities, their gender, their education, etc. Now, for some of us, that's like shocking. We don't, that sounds crazy, right? For others of us, though, and and probably the majority of our culture, that's not a big deal. Now, sure, we may not openly agree with Peter Singer. Peter Singer is the, the, uh, Princeton professor of ethics uh, who, who argues that such things as mental capacity, whether you're able to, to want life in, in some way, that somehow that plays into the right of someone to live. We might, may not openly agree with that, like in word, but functionally we do. And if we don't agree with Singer, on what basis do we not agree with him? Is it just kind of a feeling of yuck? You know, like that idea like, ugh, I don't, that sounds awful. I don't know what to do with that. Or, or is there something more substantive to it? Now, the Christian faith actually gives us a basis, a basis that is grounded in God's work, but also grants those truths while at the same time humbling us. It's an inconvenient dignity. And so this morning we're going to look at this passage in two ways. Outlines in your bulletin, as always, if that's helpful, we're going to look at a uh, really, really easy way of thinking about this. We're going to look at the image of God, that we're the image of God, and then secondly, we're going to look at the fact that we are the image of God. Does that make sense? We're going to look at the image, and then we're going to look at the one in whose image we're made. Okay? Now let's begin at looking at how we are the image. Look down at verse 26. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now stop there. These verses are key to the whole story of the Bible, and so key to correcting our understanding of ourselves. When it comes to humanity, we are incredibly ambivalent as a culture. How are we to think of people? How are we to think of ourselves? You know, at the same time, we want to understand humanity as both an animal and as an authority. We're both disease and full of dignity. You see how that works? We want to be an animal which says, well, I'm driven by my baser instincts and I can't be held accountable. And at the same time, we want to be an authority saying, saying, therefore, uh, no, 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 I am the authority. But these verses check both of those. And it does so first by talking about the fact that we are derivative. We are derivative creatures. So let me just point out some things that are important but also obvious. First things first, in in this passage we see that we don't come first. Right? That's clear, right? Before humanity is created, God said. God is present. God is working. God is creating. We don't come first, which means that we depend on another for our creation. Now, right now, I honestly don't care how you think that creation happened. We can talk about this some other time. The important thing is seeing that it wasn't by a mistake, some kind of collusion between infinite time and infinite chance. 
God created us, which means that you and I are not autonomous. But secondly, though, what we are is dependent on him. We're made in God's image. In, in, in Christian theology, we have a Latin phrase that goes with that. It's called the imago dei, the image of God. And there are many things that that means, some of which we're going to get to in a few minutes. But right now, what we need to see is that this makes us dependent on him. Who we are is the image, not the original. And in the sense written here, an image is something that reflects the original. With all the, with all the greatness of humanity, we are still but a reflection of the greatness of another. We are derivative creatures. Now the Bible's super clear on that. In fact, the notion of our dependence on God is like a central theme. And if you've been here at Holy Cross, you know that we like to harp on that theme a lot, that we were created for dependence on Him. But now, let, let, let's look at how that... How that image, that dependent image that we're in, is, has been both ruined and restored. Because the reality is, you and I don't like this, do we? We don't want to be the image. Because if we're the image, that means we're beholden, we're, we're held accountable, we're dependent on another. And we aren't the only ones who are bothered by that. Like, shortly after this portion of the biblical story, we, we come to another portion in which we are told of how humanity became discontent at being God's image. We didn't want to be God's image. And we came to believe that we could, in fact, be more than that. We could be more than just his image. We could be his equal. And all we had to do was turn away from him and take matters into our own hands. And that's what we did. And that means that humanity has now fallen, broken. You know, when we talk about that here at Holy Cross in terms of our guilt and in terms of our corruption and in terms of our alienation from God... But here's the reality. In spite of all of those things, the image of God in us is not lost. You see, we may rage against being the image of God, rage against being dependent on God, but we can't stop being that any more than the fish can stop uh, breathing water and decide one day, I'm done. It's the sand for me. We want independence. And we still often think we can have it, but we can't. We cannot claim to be the arbiter of reality, to be our own God, to be our own authority, because we draw life from another. We we are dependent on Him. He is the authority. He is reality's arbiter. He is the God. We are the image. And so after we turned away from God, the image of God in us was marred, but not erased. And this is also why we can never claim that we aren't responsible. We're just an animal. Like, I'm I'm just following my instinctual desires. You can't hold me accountable to that. You know, we may look at someone and say they've fallen so low, so far, that they are now more animal than human and shouldn't be held responsible. But the Bible would tell us no. In Genesis 9, and, which is the, the Noah story, right? Noah's coming off the ark, and, and all of the animals are coming with him, and God begins to reassert what he wants for humanity. To go and multiply and fill the earth. And then he, and then he starts giving these, these claims on what will happen if human life is taken. And he, he says that it's going to be a big deal. And the reason is because he says that, that humans are made in the image of God. And then in James 3, which is what Jason read for us a little earlier... We heard that thing, it's, it's wrong to, to, in the one same breath, bless God and curse those who are made in our image. The image of God is not lost. 
The image of God remains, and the image of God matters. God still cares about His image. And frankly, even after our fallenness, after sin entered the world, after our brokenness, that is the reason why God sought to restore us. See, the image of God can be fully restored in us, reflecting back the fullness of the glory we were meant to only when we have returned to what we were made for, returned to relationship with Him. The problem is, our sin, right? Our betrayal of God, and it, it gets in the way. Which is why Jesus came. Jesus comes as the true image of God, to live for us perfectly, to die for us sacrificially. He lives as we couldn't, and then He bears the penalty for our sins on the cross, so that when we place our faith in Him, place our trust in Him, our hope in Him, we return to God. Turning to Jesus is returning to dependence on God moving back into that place in which we are, we are not only uh, returning to being the image, but joyfully returning. I want to be the image and you, God. I want to return to the way things were meant to be. Listen, we may rage against it, but you and I are not an island, not the final judge of reality, not the authority in our lives. We are the image of God. And as such, we must be in a dependent relationship with him through Jesus. Okay? So we are the image, but we are also the image of God. Look back at verse 26 to see that we are unique. God says, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth. Now, stop there, because you get the picture. It is fashionable today to, to understand humanity as simply one among many species, and certainly the dominant species, but there's nothing ultimately different about us and the rest of humanity. In fact, Thinking that humanity is somehow unique now has a new moniker attached to it. It's called speciesism. Did you know this? Speciesism is thinking that humanity is somehow more valuable, uh, different, functionally unique than the rest of the animal world. The Bible, though, tells us a different story. That you and I, all of humanity, in fact, are the image of God. Listen close. Christians believe, and the Bible teaches, that there is a fundamental difference between humans and the rest of the created order. And that is highlighted here in multiple ways. Okay? First and foremost, here in chapter 1, humanity is the only creature of which there is a conversation. Right? For, the, for the rest of the chapters, God is creating things. He's let there be this, let there be this, let there be this. And all of a sudden, the narrative slows down to the sixth day. And, and God says, hold on, let's make man in our image. Everything kind of turns into a conversation. Let's, I've got an idea. Let's make man in our image. You know, this, this week I spent four days teaching juniors and seniors at, at Grace Christian School Literary Interpretation of the Bible. It was great. Had a blast. They're, they're great kids. Real bright. Uh, one of the things that I talked about there is that when the narrative slows down, we're supposed to pay attention. Something important is happening. And that is what happens here. Things slow down as God creates humanity. In chapter 2 of Genesis, the parallel account, we're told that, that humanity is the only creature that God actually makes, gets his hands dirty to make. Everything else he, he speaks into existence. He, he creates by fiat, but with humanity he forms us. He puts his hands literally in the dirt and shapes us, forming us, sculpting us by the hand of God. Now some of you are thinking, Rick, wait a minute. Listen, I had biology class. Or, you know, I at least watched Nova 
like I, we aren't that different, aren't we? Listen, just because there are similarities doesn't mean that we are the same. Of course there's similarities. We have the same creator. But the Bible is very clear. There is something different. And now, Christians have often tried to figure out exactly what that is. Pin it down on one thing. You know, is it, it, what is it that makes us unique? What is it that makes us the image? Is it, is it rational intelligence? You know, is it rationality? It, is it relationship? Right? The fact that we can be known and know. Is it, is it uh, morality? Or is it the fact that we have dominion? But you see, here's the problem. The problem with linking it with one thing is that we can easily think that it is something that we do. And if it's something that we do, it's also something that we could not do. So if, if, if the image of God is about rationality, then someone who's not rational is no longer the image of God. And if, if relationship is the image of God, it's about be, being uh, known and knowing that someone who has a personality disorder and keeps them from the ability to have relationship is no longer the image of God. But, but that's not the case. The image of God is not something we do. It's who we are. We are God's image and nothing else is. Does it include being rational? Yes. Does it include being relational? Yeah, sure. Does it include having a moral compass? Absolutely. But is it limited to those? Not at all. Humans are unique and of unique value among all creation. God, listen, God formed lions. They are majestic creatures. Beautiful creatures. Unless you're watching those episodes of Nova in which the lioness is like ripping apart an antelope. That's not exactly beautiful. But they're beautiful creatures. God cares about lions. But he cares about humans more. Because they are his image and lions are not. Now that uniqueness draws out a universal dignity. Look down at verse 27. It says this, So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Now, this is radical, friends, and it's no less radical now than it was when it was first written. Look, it, it is most likely that these words were first written down and, and, and taught to that first generation coming out of, of slavery in Egypt through the Exodus. Okay? Those, those Israelites who had been slaves in Egypt, whom God had delivered by Moses. Most of us know that story, right? Red Sea, walls of water, dry ground, walking through, then crashing waves, tragic end for the Egyptians. Things go badly. You, you know the story, okay? Here's why that would have been radical then. You see, Egyptians believed that there was a gradation of value in the world, much like many of us functionally do. Pharaoh was literally God on earth. He is, he is God on earth. And then you have the royal family, they're a little lower than him. And then you have normal Egyptians, and they are, they are pretty close. They are, like the, they are close to images of God. And then, then there are these slaves. <laughs> you know, it's the funny thing about slavery and oppression in general, is that the first step is always, always seems to be arguing for your slaves being less human. And that is true whether we're talking Jews in Germany or the African slave trade here in this country. Anyway, the Israelites would have been told that if, if they had been really good slaves, then when they died, maybe... They, they would, could be reborn as Egyptians, so they could be worth something. 
To the Egyptians, Israelites were lesser. They were not as valued, not as good, not as worthy. But then after they're delivered, God tells them, not that they are valued, they are the valued ones, the Egyptians are not, that would be just be flipping the narrative, but that all of humanity is the image of God. But let me speak to how they would have understood that whole image of image thing. Some of you remember the Gulf War. You're old enough to remember the images that came back from the Gulf War, right? Uh, one of the things I remember most, it seemed like everywhere, every video, every picture seemed to include a statue, poster, or portrait of Saddam Hussein. That dude had images of himself everywhere. And here's why. In the ancient Near East, and it continues today, rulers would place images of themselves around their kingdoms to denote where their rule extended. Right? If you see his picture, that means he rules here. He's in charge here. Saddam did it to remind everyone who was in charge. And so does God. See, every human that you see, no matter what they look like, no matter their gender, their mental ability, every human that you see is an image of God that is meant to remind us just whose world this is. That is why we're told, like in James 3, when we dishonor the image of God, we dishonor God. We point to Him. Now I want to try and help us apply this, if I can, by seeking to grasp the image. Okay? The fact that we are God's image, we talked about this a second ago, the fact that we are God's image confronts our pride, right? It, it shows us that we are dependent, that we are made for God, and, and even made to point to Him and not to us. It attacks our pride. We are in His image for His glory, not for ours. But the fact that we are the image of God confronts us in an entirely different way. Let's begin seeing that simply by drawing out some implications of the universality of this. Right there in verse 27, we are hit with the first aspect of it, right? Male and female, he created them. Both genders are equally in the image of God. Now, see, some of us have a hard time with this, right? Because we think the Bible teaches against that. We're like, Rick, have you read the rest of the Bible? Y yes, I have, right? It's my job. I, I have read the rest of the Bible. But right here at the beginning, we are told something fundamentally different. The Bible teaches that both male and female are equally in the image of God. Have the same dignity before God. And that means that men have no more dignity than women, and women have no more dignity than men. It also means that when we seek to demean the dignity of the other, out of our own insecurity to bolster our own dignity, we are actually sinning against the God in whose image they are. That's vague. Uh, sorry. L let me try another way. Ladies, when you begin talking about and treating men like they are Neanderthals, because they don't engage the world like you do, you are actually sinning against God in whose image they are made. Guys, when you talk about and treat women as weak because they engage in relationships differently than you do, because they have more than two emotions and because they actually know how to express them. You are sinning against God in whose image they are made. They are made in God's image, as are you. Differently? Yes, of course we are made in the image of God differently. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks when we get to gender, but equally. Equally. 
So that's the first thing. Second thing, because the image is what we are and not a quality about us, it is true of humanity no matter what our disabilities. Listen close. The truth of the image of God in humanity means that we cannot disregard a person because they have disabilities. You cannot disregard a person because they they somehow aren't able to do what you can do. Whether those disabilities means being on the autism spectrum, having Down syndrome, various forms of brain damage, learning disabilities, whether they're deaf, blind, paralyzed, or some psychological disorder. They are made in the image of God, and before God they have ultimate worth because of that, not because of what they can do for you. See, what that class experience in my, in my bio, biology class all those years ago was trying to do was to value people based on their ability, based on their societal value, based on, based on whether they could be productive members of society, but the image of God rejects that. People are valuable because they are made in the image of God. Listen, give me the most regal and powerful tiger. Beautiful gorgeous, strong, and then next to him put, put a, a human confined to a wheelchair, a dude who's in a wheelchair and, and literally can do nothing. He can't take care of himself, can't speak. He has to be cared for all of his days. The doctrine of the image of God, the Imago Dei, tells us that before God, it is the human, it is the guy in the wheelchair who has more worth than the tiger, or frankly, a jungle full of them. And, and, and if you're having a hard time believing me, let me tell you this, ultimately, God declared this again when he took on flesh. When he came to, to rescue his creation, he didn't come and, and take on, take on a, the, the flesh of, a, of an animal, of a, a dog, or, or a horse, or even a lion. He became something Something uniquely appropriate. He became human. Human. And so redignified humanity by showing that humanity is not so low as to not be a worthy place for God to dwell. Lastly, that image of God pushes against our tendency to grade the value of people based on their choices of their or their life situation. Okay? Someone who is successful, wealthy, intelligent, educated is not somehow more the image of God uh, or less marred by sin, maybe that would be easier to say, less marred by sin or what have you, than the person stuck in cycles of poverty. We are not only equally all, all God's image, we, are, we all equally have that image marred. Now, does that mean that we all are marred in the same way? No, not at all. Some are marred by the, the shame of, of thinking that we can't change, that we are powerless, or that we are defined by our family situation, our economic status, our neighborhood, that we can never move beyond that because this is who we are and what we will always be, and we're, we're kind of marred by that shame. Others of us, are marred by the pride in thinking, I can do anything I want with enough mental power and enough money. But it is the same, friends. None of us have arrived. And there is something that all of us need to learn from each other. All of us need one another. 
All right, let me wrap up. The truth that all of humanity is made in the image of God is an inconvenient one. It is inconvenient because we want to think that we can be autonomous, be our own authority, be our own God, but we can't. We are an image. At the same time, it is inconvenient because it tells us that all people, all people are the image of God, whether they are homeless or addicted or a soccer mom or gender confused, have have dementia, cerebral palsy, or have been in coma for years image of God. And it means that we need to repent of all of our tendencies to devalue and view others as of less worth than us for all the reasons we do it. It means we need to see that God saw the restoration of his images of such importance to him that he was willing to become flesh, to live, to die, and rise again to to accomplish it. And for those who have been restored to God through Jesus, for Christians here this morning, It means being dependent on Him even for that attitude, for that value. And so seeking the flourishing of all those around us, all of those images around us, the same way that He does. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that You would bless this time, that that by Your Spirit You would work the Gospel into our hearts Lord, my friends here who have never placed their faith in Jesus to be restored to the fullness of that image that they were meant to, I pray that you would work in them even now that they would. And for those of us who have, I I pray, Lord, that you would help us to repent of all the ways in which we devalue your image, debase your image, whether it's debasing ourselves or debasing those around us. And instead, you you would give us hearts that want to seek others to flourish by seeing them restored through relationship with you, it can come only through Jesus, but also to, to see them flourish and, and be restored to the dignity that they were created for. God, work this in us and let Holy Cross be a place where, where we see uh, a, a group of people passionately seeking the flourishing of every person made in the image of God in our city. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.